Yo MTG Taps is sponsored by LegitMTG.com. Strategy, streams, and singles, LegitMTG has it all. Oh yeah, and now us. So check us out every Friday on LegitMTG.com and stop back every weekday for more great Magic the Gathering content and product. I wonder who my competition is not going to be. I know it ain't going to be nobody up in here. They up in here. They up in here. Magnetic. F-14. W. Organized campaign, I'm on my third route The album just dropped, I'm trying to get the word out Superhero theme music, Ron Sleek walking, snoring The less rails for what was recorded My first stop was Sway in the morning Was greeted by Heather B, Toto was a fan Since the real world on MTV now I MC, five fingers of death, couldn't chin check me Not before I had to get balls right, rehearsing Was asked about my upbringing, how long I've been working And Sway's hair rap, little bigger hand person Was rhyming like it was a wake up show Homie tough, I got raps for days Gotta say something for Tony Touch My phone is gone, sorry, I can't talk right now I'm busy, traveling, making my rounds I sat down next on the schedule was static selector, show already, yo Hey everybody, welcome back to Yo MTG Taps, I'm Big Head Joe. And I'm Jeff Zandy. Jeff Zandy is joining us this week because Steven doesn't know how to tell time, stupid bastard. No, uh, not true. Uh, he forgot that we were recording at 6, which of course it's now 6.45, uh, whatever. Uh, but he thought we were recording at 10 p.m. like usual, which is good because... Steven and I are going to talk about spoiler talk, and Jeff doesn't really do the spoiler talk thing. So right. uh, do this part with Jeff now, and then later in the episode, I will be joined by Stephen Marshall. We will be talking about the latest Shadows over Innistrad spoilers. But for now, I've got Jeff on the show because he's my only hope. I need help. <laughs> So, this weekend is Grand Prix DC. Grand Prix DC is Team Limited, and it is Oath Battle Team Limited. I am teaming with Joey Pasco, former and and eternal co-host of YoMTG Taps, and Kenny Toms, uh, local favorite. And the two of them taught me how to play the game almost 21 years ago. We are joining forces for what will probably be our final weekend playing Magic together ever, which it wasn't that at the time when we decided on it. It just seemed like a cool nostalgia trip, but it has a significant, much more significance now with my impending quote-unquote retirement from the game. So it's going to be really exciting. It's going to be really fun. But the thing is, I am the most experienced limited player out of the three of us. So they're both kind of looking to me for guidance. Like, no doubt I'm player B in the team. You know, I'm in the middle. Yeah. So I can feed them both information and advice. So they're really counting on me to have my act together for this event. And I have to say, of all the limited events that I have participated in, I have not felt 
less like my act is together than I do for this one. I typically would go over Jeff's house on Tuesday nights to practice with the guild mages. But I haven't made it. I haven't made it over there for weeks and weeks and weeks for various, you know, legitimate reasons, but reasons nonetheless. Not because you hate magic. Not because I hate magic. Certainly not because I hate Jeff. Certainly not because I hate the guild mages. Just got stuff going on. Just really have, you know, ever since I decided that I was going to stop playing, my priorities have come more into focus and the things that I would normally hope resolve themselves while I run off to play Magic on Tuesday nights, I have chosen over the past like month or so to take care of those things proactively. And, and that's just kind of where we're at, so I haven't really made it out. Now, anyway, before we get into any of that, but Jeff is... Okay, regardless, let me just say one more thing, and then I want to talk to Jeff about something exciting that he has going on the Hunter Burton Memorial Tournament. The Open is now a IQ, super IQ as well, which is awesome. But we'll get into that. Um, Jeff has been playing every Tuesday. Has been playing this draft format. I'm not sure of his success, but regardless of success, personally, you've got data. You've got information. And I need it. This is the time where, you know, a lot of people are in the same boat as me. Going into this weekend, they haven't had time to practice. They have no idea what's going on. (laughs) I mean, I have an idea, but you know what I mean. Like, they they don't feel like they have it together, but they don't have the time to get it together. So people like myself need a way to cram for the exam. And that's what I'm doing by bringing Jeff onto the show is I am cramming for DC through your intervention and assistance. So Jeff and Jeff obviously has a lot of experience with limited in general and also won a PPTQ, which I think I congratulated you for on the show when it was relevant. Yes, you did. I did. A month ago. Yeah, and congratulations again. But the, the important thing is that you won a big event, you know, a, a, an important competitive event with this current sealed format. So that's right. that is that's huge to me. So and I'm really excited to talk to you about it. But first, let's talk about the Hunter Burton Memorial. So this is your platform. Plug. Give us the plug. Tell us why. Everyone should be at the Hunter Burton Memorial Tournament, other than the fact that yours and mine, our beautiful faces, <laughs> will be there. Um, go for it. Floor is yours. Good. Thank you very much. Well, I'm super excited to be uh, um, to be uh, heading up the event for the third year, and um, it's it's. I want to tell you what it is before you know before I bore anybody with with all the details about it. This is this is a a standalone event. It's not it's not in a store. It's at the Arlington Convention Center on Saturday, March twenty sixth. You pay thirty bucks to be in the event. We're we're gonna we're gonna have two hundred players. We could have two hundred and fifty, uh, maybe or slightly more. But it's gonna be about that size of event. It's a standard tournament, but 
the top eight is a Modern Masters 2015 booster draft. And that's – some people are more excited about that than others. But um, even if you didn't like draft, you might like opening three packs of Modern Masters in the top eight. The uh, the cash prize for the tournament is $8,500, and it's top-loaded. It's almost all in – money goes down to 32nd place, but most of the money is in the top eight. And it's a very flat payout because – uh, the idea, the f- spirit of this tournament is not to split up all the prizes in the top eight. So to kind of help promote that, there's not that much difference. Most um, the fifth through eighth place is $700. First prize is $1,200. There's not that much. Uh, you know, you, um, I, I, we, we, you, your job is to battle in this tournament and try to make the top eight. You will get a lot of stuff. It's a Star City Games Super IQ so the top eight are getting play mats and collectible pins. The top eight are also getting a a special uh, six-sided dice that we make for this event. And we, we only make a very limited number. This year there are 29 of them, they will, and of which uh, you know they, they go to judges, they go to the top eight players. And there's also a few special side events that can win one. It's, uh, they're hard to get a hold of. They're, they're beautiful. And uh, have the name of the event on them and a picture of a black lotus, and they're 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 uh, quite nice. And everyone that sees them wants them. The top eight, though, then you're also getting this booster draft. The winner doesn't just get cash; he's qualified for the Star City Invitational. And of course, the new system with Star City that's flexible. You, which uh, Invitational you'll decide to go to based on. Um, finishing first or second in this tournament in this Super IQ. Oh, so both finalists actually do qualify. Right. Oh, that's great. That's really cool. Also, the winner of the tournament gets a $1,000 Movado wristwatch. That um, the, the, The story behind that is that the tournament's held kind of in honor and in memory of Hunter Burton, who's a larger than life figure in magic down here. He's one of Texas' best, most accomplished Magic players. He finished in the Final Four at Pro Tour Austin in uh, late 2009, where he lost in the semifinals to Kibler, and Kibler went on to win. And um, Hunter was playing the Zoo deck. Um, I guess it was modern and not... It was already modern then, right? Surely not... Ex- 2009? No. It was, ex- Still it was extended, extended huh? yeah. Okay, but pretty close to that line. Hunter is Hunter also has some other money finishes at the Pro Tour, but that was his only top eight. Texas doesn't have a lot of individual you know performances better than that. And Hunter also had two uh, Grand Prix top eights. And he uh, passed away in 2013 when he was only 26. With with a lot, you know, with with a of course huge opportunity to have done, you know, like anybody else, lots of lots more things we were expecting from Hunter in Magic and out of Magic, you know. But and he left the planet early, and uh, his parents, um, because I was Hunter's friend and a teammate, member of the Texas Guild Mages, um, their parent, his parents, came to me and asked if I'd be interested in putting on a memorial tournament to help remember Hunter, and maybe to generate some money for a good cause. And so we've put together this event, and this will be the third one. And um, a portion of the proceeds goes to the 
American Foundation for Suicide Prevention. Hunter did take his own life. And um, it's just another thing to feel good about. The truth is, I expect people to come to this tournament in order to play Magic and try to win some big prizes. That's why we're playing Magic, and that's why we have big prizes. But it's just nice that there's even more going on under the surface. And we've got... Mm-hmm cool t-shirts and everyone that comes is going to get a lanyard you know that that commemorates the event and some people are going to go home with special dice you know it's a very it's a, just a very cool thing and it feels like it feels like a family event it feels like texas magic sort of really comes together but although you know we'll attract players from oklahoma and louisiana and new mexico and and hopefully further away now that because of the super iq uh, star city games promotes this for us on the website and so um, and so it's going to be an awesome competitive day. The wristwatch is just the cherry on top because Hunter was into blingy watches, and his sister picks out the watch that we give away each year and uh, and picked out this one. This one is uh, I don't have a um, well anyway we, we don't have a picture on the internet yet, but it's I just picked it up from uh, from uh, the sister. A few days ago, and here, it's, I've got a picture of it right here. Everybody, check it out. It's beautiful blue, right here on the, <laughs> here on the podcast. It's it's got a circular thing on top and some hands that yeah, you can point a- at numbers. <laughs> but now they don't point at numbers because it's a Movado, so obviously it's got a gold dot and, and where the twelve would be, and then no other numbers. But anyway, but it's it's beautiful and blingy and just another treasure. So. $8,500 cash, and nobody go, nobody gets a check or a voucher at the end of the day. We're handing out hundreds and fifties. That's the, that's the only thing we'll be handing out is hundreds and fifties to a whole bunch of people and playmats and pens and a $1,000 watch. The total prizes for this event are over $10,000. There's no way around it. Yeah. But, um, but it's, a, it's a great event. And um, it, it it happens because Hunter's parents are happy to uh, to see. They love to see the community come together, remember their son, but also just a great tournament that isn't all about um, you know making the ends meet and trying to make a profit or trying to sell a bunch of cards or you know this just just for a change. It's nice that you have a nonprofit based model here that gives a lot of value to the players for their money but uh, also provides uh, something to the community. It's, um, it's, just, it's just the best event I've ever been a part of. Yeah, and it's you know notably the only competitive event that's going to get me out of the woodwork once a year. Yep, and that's another good thing about it. I will be there once a year as the only competitive event I'm playing in when I, when I stop playing Magic. I am going to, for that day, come out of retirement and play in the Hunter Burton. Good. So, um, so whether a person, whether you, uh, what in the heck was that tournament they were talking about? Well, whether whether your friend is Google or your friend is Facebook, the 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 just if you can remember Hunter Burton Memorial, uh, you'll you'll get there. Absolutely. And you did forget to mention one thing: um, the top eight. It's the entire top eight that gets their names engraved in the trophy, right? Right. The trophy is beautiful, and it it, it it's, is it lives a lot of the year where it is right now at the largest game store in Texas, uh, Madness Games and Comics in Plano, just because I want a lot of I want a lot of people to see it. So trophy moves around so people can see it. But we love that we don't put just the winner's name on this trophy every year. We put the whole top eight on there. And this is our third year. I'm extremely proud of who our two winners have been, Robert Bernie, who 
um, the year he won in 2014. Uh, he all, he had just won one Grand Prix Albuquerque the weekend before. Wow. And then, um, and then he crushed, he was, wow, he was really on mono black in standard during that period of time with rats. Lots of people were though. Yeah. But <laughs> he had, he had a run like you wouldn't believe for a month with that deck that you just wouldn't believe that included winning a Grand Prix, winning, uh, you know, winning a big money tournament at the first Hunter Burton, which was a $5,000 tournament that year. And, uh, and then he, he, uh, he won a, um, one uh, K the weekend after that, so yeah, the tournaments got smaller, but he was still crushing it, and he and he won a real PTQ uh, before he went to the Grand Prix. So he, you know, he had a lot of win anyway. But a great player from the area last year, um, a more experienced, older player, limited specialist named Hai Bing Hu from Houston, Texas. Mm-hmm. He took the tournament down. We had it looked like we had looked like we had booster draft ringers up and down the top eight last year. And that's what some people would say. Oh, you're booster drafting the top eight. That's such a big advantage to players that are good at booster draft. Well, I'm sure it is, but making the top eight's no small feat. Right, right. And I think it's I think it's great that, you know, this is one of the few tournaments that does test your skills in both constructed and limited. Right, and people ask me, you know, why are you doing that? You know that that's you know terrible. They they don't like it because it's not the it's not what the normal standard tournament would do, which would just play standard in the top eight. Well, this way you pick the right deck and everything. Congratulations, you made top eight, but you don't get you don't go to the top. You don't get the final prize just because just because the decks lined up well that week. You gotta you gotta show me something else. The same way that I wouldn't want someone to open a lucky sealed deck and and get to the top eight, and then get to continue playing that sealed deck. This debacle occurred in the most recent sealed deck uh, regional PTQs. Regional PTQs. That was a disaster. And it needs to not happen when it when we do this again at the end of March. Oh, I hate it. I hate the fact that they're doing that. That's really bad. I hope that they fix that for this upcoming one. But anyway, it's super fun to play two formats one event someone was kind of bugging me about it just a few days ago and then and i and i told him uh you mean like um legitimate tournaments don't do this you mean like the pro tour maybe where every single day at the pro tour until you make until sunday you got to play both yeah absolutely so all around and also it's a fun event could could just come and just come and have a good time at the event bro (laughs) yeah I, i like the fact that like you're not lining anybody's pockets. You're you're helping the community, and you're and you're going to have a good time. And your EV for those people, your EV couldn't be higher. Right. Absolutely. I couldn't agree more. So awesome. It's really exciting. And uh, yeah, come on out. Come to the tournament. It's going to be a lot of fun. It's uh, Saturday, March twenty sixth. Right at the Arlington Convention Center in Arlington, Texas. In historic Arlington, Texas. If you're from out of town. That's right in between Dallas and Fort Worth, where the Cowboys play. And literally, the tournament is in the shadow of the Cowboys Stadium and in the shadow of the ballpark in Arlington, where the Rangers play. It's a beautiful part of town, and you'll have a good time. Okay, so that's great. But now, uh, first things first, two weeks prior to the Hunter Burton Memorial Open, I have to deal with this team sealed. So I need help. I need to know what's going on in this limited. 
I feel like, I mean, I've had a lack of practice, period, to begin with. So I haven't had much opportunity to play this format. The little amount of time that I've had to play this format, I have just had disastrous results. I built two decks last night on Magic Online on a sealed league. I built a black-green deck, and I built a blue-black Devoid deck, and just got smashed by a random aggro deck. (laughs) The one thing in my research that I've been told shouldn't exist... (laughs) Right is what just completely crushed me. And so, you know, so I was like, well, that's it. I'm done. And I just like logged out because that's the beauty of sealed leagues is that you can just go, all right, I'm done with this for tonight. Close it down. Pick it up later, which is really awesome. But uh, just even in that game where I had two decks, both of which I thought were like really good decks. I was like, these decks are solid. These decks are really good. Just got just got smashed. So anyway, so I just even in my best case scenario, which in my opinion was that that particular pool last night, still not getting results. So um, just got to talk to you a little bit about maybe the sealed format, what you've seen work, and just you know that sort of thing, and then also kind of talk about draft in just an overview of some of the draft archetypes because. You know, from what I've listened to, um, the things I've done to kind of prepare so far is I've listened to the latest limited resources episode, which is talking specifically about sealed and team sealed. I read Ari Lax's article on team sealed, which was some really helpful stuff. And I've also, and that was more of, a, I think that was way more procedural though than like actual like here's what's good. Uh, and then apparently. Um, uh, Owen has a article that he just posted on Channel Fireball that kind of goes over, I think it's Team Seal, and it's a fairly brief article that uh, both of my teammates told me was really good. I haven't read it yet because I just got that text like 20 minutes or hour ago or whatever. So with that said, um, what, so just first of all, it's sealed. Start, let's start with sealed. Kind of give me... A general idea. What did you play in the PPTQ, and how, how? Why was it successful for you? Okay, good. Well, first step one: open bombs. No, no, um, <laughs> not always. Which, by the way, uh, listeners who, if they, if they are also on legitmtg.com, legit uh, they can click on. It's only a few articles back on on my name that they'll run into. Um, I think two different sealed deck articles talking about um, talking about this format sealed, even Good, though even though that was them. a month ago. But the format hasn't changed, right? The uh, I I back to back top aided top aided the first week uh, the weekend before I qualified with uh, real we really did have the bomb deck with um, Eldrazi Displacer. And mm-hmm. Lynn Valla and Reality Smasher. These are bombs. Yeah, that's a pretty bomb-heavy deck. That's pretty good. But even but even before we get to that bomb part, and and yeah. a card that really hasn't gotten much love that was in that deck and also made a big difference a week later, but you will hear Marshall uh, singing its praises finally uh, this week on Limited Resources, Prophet of Distortion. Uh-huh. You know, it's funny that 
uh, now I, you know, as an old timer, yeah, I love J.M. Daytome from uh, first edition, 1993. But it's funny that it was reprinted as recently as Corset last summer, and in Corset draft and really sealed, it was crap. You just couldn't afford you just didn't have time to spend four mana to draw a card i hate it when people say that's eight mana to draw a card well i don't know maybe you do some of it this turn then later you do it uh, probably you don't just draw a card and at the beginning of your turn as soon as you draw your real card you were you know in, in other words people you know anytime they complain about what jm daytome costing four mana to tap to draw a card um sometimes you haven't got anything to do at the end of your other guy's turn you draw a free card. That's awesome. Yeah, no, and I think that the main difference between a card like Jam Day Tome and a card like Profit of Distortion is that first of all, you have a low cost of entry. You have the one blue, right? One to blue. cast the profit. Yeah, and you know if your opponent is taking a couple turns to set up their board, which they almost always are. You can sometimes turn it sideways a couple times and ping them for a couple points of damage. Um, and then you can sit there and you can start gaining advantage. Now, that's the one thing. So, right. you know. Yeah, so to- it's better that it's a creature and it's worse it's a creature. Everyone has creature removal, so your profit of distortion is going to die, I've been told. Uh-huh. Okay, good. Use your removal on the profit distortion. Now, I won't get ahead on cards, but you've now used one of your removal pieces. Right, exactly. So you've kind of it's a double-edged sword where either you're going to have the card early, they're going to remove it early, right. and then they're going to wish they hadn't because then you're going to play something that they wish they had their removal for. Right. Or you play it for five mana. So let's and- talk about one that you know well and that uh, I splashed this red card in a control deck in a control booster draft recently to conquer all, and that's uh, Dragon Master Outcast. Is that yes. one of the card? Um, yes. No, I don't play that card on game on turn one. There's just Never. almost no scenario. Um, you know, I can't even imagine. I've mulled to four, and I'm going to have to keep a one lander with a mountain, and it has the dragon. Okay, I'll probably go ahead and do it. But but no, in generally speaking. It doesn't do anything until you have six land, so you don't play it until you have six land. Right, Problem right. Solved. It's, it's not, a six drop, but it's I mean, but it's one mana, and then you have five mana to protect it. Exactly. But you know, <laughs> uh, profit of distortion is different because um, he isn't going to win the game for you. Um, you can risk having him out early, and because he's he has such low impact on the board early, he's probably not going to block. He hardly ever attacks. But the fact is, is what if you have one other good creature and your opponent has a, an ability to make you sacrifice a creature? Well, the Prophet of Distortion would love to be sacrificed instead of your good guy. So there's no, it just, there's no, um, there's no downside to playing him early. You're not, you're not invested so heavily in, in using him that, um, that you have to save him. On the other hand, when you draw him late, you're extremely likely, unlike with James Daytome, you're extremely likely to play one blue, and then, and then at the end of your opponent's next turn, immediately you have four mana. One of them has to be true colorless, available to draw a card. Oh, and it doesn't tap like James Daytome does. So late in games, when you have eight mana open, yeah, draw two cards. Mm-hmm. Yeah, just a really great uh, repeatable effect to just can really. But get you so far. But ahead. we just jumped right to this one card. But it does speak to what I think. Uh, well, what my success has been in the sealed format has been primarily controlish decks, 
And uh, Marshall uh, kind of agrees, you know, in, in this week's limited resources when he says that, you know, he wants every card in his sealed decks completely different than Booster Draft in this format. He wants, he's interested in their impact, not their efficiency. So while he loves a 2-1 first striker for red and one in draft, he just probably can't play that guy at all, almost without exception, in sealed because it doesn't have enough impact. And in sealed, everyone has, everyone's uh, got red and black removal spells. In mm-hmm. draft, everybody doesn't have red and black removal spells. They either went that way or they didn't. Right. But you're going to see... Uh, you're going to see so many more rares in sealed and you're going to see so many more late game kind of big plays that it makes it super hard to go aggro so that the decks are going to be. And again, sometimes like, you know, you get beat by an aggro deck in league. Yeah. Okay. It doesn't mean it never happens. Right. No, true. True. Sometimes you just have the deck or sometimes you don't even have the deck. Maybe their deck wasn't super aggro. You're saying they they could have been wrong, but they still beat you. Sure, but, yeah. But I'm, yeah. I'm not even saying that. I'm not saying that aggro, that aggro in sealed is in this sealed format is wrong. I'm just saying that I agree with the the other guys that um, it's uh, it's not what you see the most of, and it, it should be a little bit of a warning light for you if you're trying to bend your sealed deck really aggressive. You want to make sure that are am I really thinking about the the quality of the other um, slightly harder to cast bigger cards. Uh, overall, I think the format is controlled by uh, control decks, control-ish decks that do go ahead and go big enough to play, you know, seven drops, a six or a seven, or maybe mm-hmm. multiple six or seven drops. Uh, that all those, there's a huge number of creatures in Oath that are two slash three, two power, three toughness creatures. And the thing is, so many of them are enablers, like... The cultivator that taps for true colorless, but you can only mm-hmm. use it on colorless spells and effects. Right. Uh, cards like that that you uh, – or even a rare. Uh, hey, it's turn two. I paid a green and one, and I've got a two-three that's going to get Ugh. larger. Um, the point is is that two-threes are real good and sealed. So if two-threes are good, then two-twos are not good. <laughs> right. That's very true. Uh, and the other, so so so, th- so this is the problem, though. So you know, heeding that advice, uh, when I was building my deck last night, uh, I was like, okay, well, let's avoid all of these more aggressive creatures and kind of go into more of a you know a long game plan. When I'm looking at my deck, my deck is like three drops, four drops, like like a million four drops. A lot of four drops these days. Oh lot of four drops so i don't know it just it just feels so awkward and then you've got so little in between like you've got so little at the beginning of your curve i feel like there's like in terms of like at least the decks that i was seeing last night there was so little like at five and at six and then you've got like sevens and stuff it was it just didn't it just felt so clunky and i'm just drawing these really just awful hands are there any ways to make your like to make the transition into those four drops smoother i mean like just like i don't know we were already talking about the fact that we're not going to see a lot of aggro decks so i think like the early removal probably isn't the best because 
if you're not expecting the early, you know, things to come down, you don't need to, you don't have anything to remove. Maybe, but, but I still I still find that you know, like re- reality hemorrhage still still kills things. I at first I yeah. didn't I didn't for at first I didn't want to play one white to destroy an attacking or blocking creature with power two or less. But it turns yeah. out that's wrong. You got to play it. <laughs> that card is actually plenty important. It's automatically in, and if you're playing white, and then by all means take it out if if there's no targets for games two and three. But it's right automatically in so i would say kind of like from my first pre-release in this format i saw a hedron crawler and i went uh yeah mana ramp creature for two mana that taps for the the new hoop you have to jump through actual colorless mana uh i was so in well he goes with what you're trying to do he then it's turn three and you're and you play a third land, and you're playing a four drop. One of these glutty, this glut of four drops that you you know might want to play. Well, now he kind of makes it easier. Or you missed a third land. You're still making your third land. You know you're still playing your third play. So, so seventeen land and a hedron crawler is like the comfortable territory from six months ago when you would play eighteen lands pretty often in similar controlly sort of decks. Six months ago. You'd go. You'd be very happy to play the O six wall. Again, you could still have him in your two battle for Zendikar packs, um, and you were very happy to play the the uh, one three tap for one white and gain life. Uh, that was a very nice early game wall ish defensive creature. Well, you still have two packs that have that guy, but you got four packs that that you might have to just get comfy with McKendy Aeronaut, another little guy that comes down on turn two and that, and that just helps you, helps you stay alive long enough to play some meteor creatures. I like, um, you know, I'd like to not play walls very often, but I like the 06 wall from battle and I like wall of resurgence from oath. I'm definitely oh, not, insane. I'm not afraid of that mount. I'm not afraid of that land getting killed on my opponent's next turn. If they do kill it, and then I don't get another land the very next turn, um, then, yeah, they, they got me. But I love it when they do waste a removal spell, and I'm sitting on land in my hand. I'm, I'm just not scared of them killing my, my creature land when I do play um, Wall of Sturgeons on turn three. I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not excited about the counters on my land like I'm getting ready to attack with that land anytime soon, but I don't mind. I won. Uh, by the way, I won round one of that tournament with this deck because eventually we we got a board stall and I bounced with Eldrazi Displacer. I bounced the wall over and over and over and put more and more <laughs> groups of three plus one plus one counters on several uh, lands. And my opponent was at thirty two life when we went to extra time and I attacked for thirty something uh, three times and won. <laughs> Wow. So, uh, what do you think about some of the, the the card draw spells? Do you think that those are important? Like, um, I can't remember the surge one from Oath. Right. Well, you know, it's blue and three. But if you surge, it's blue and two. I, it's so, so easy to cut. Now, when, yeah. now the pro guys, uh, you know, on the other podcast, they um, they super hate it. I'm not. I don't think. Uh, I don't think that I'm going to say it's impossible to play it, um, but a comparative analysis. But um, it's but it's easy to it's easy to cut. 
Okay, and uh, are you the in the same feeling the same way about anticipate as well? I've just been trying to think of you know how to connect the dots here. That's that's all. Right. I'm just trying to. I know. feel like so, anticipate. First of all, I hardly ever. I just hardly it hardly ever makes it, even in draft. But when yeah, it, when I it, almost never play it. But, that's, but that's why it I'm make, asking. But when it makes it in draft, I feel like that it's anticipate could make it because your particular thing you're trying to do, particularly slightly more aggressive blue in draft, that you uh, feel an urgency to get somewhere that, that you don't have in sealed. So it's even easier to cut in sealed. What's funny is, so, you know, like a card that helps you a little bit on the card draw side, like anticipate, doesn't make it for me. But a card that's not really removal, that, all, that costs essentially the same thing, like clutch of currents, is soft so-called soft removal like blue bounce spells are for me a hundred percent in every single time can't possibly cut clutch of currents uh, of course it can you can do more when you get five mana but other times it lets you play a surge spell extremely easily that turn yeah that was the one thing that i noticed when i was building my deck was was whoa if i you know some of these one drops here are going to really help me with my uh with my surge spells later, because you do have that problem where if you are playing for the late game and you don't put any one or two drops in, when are you going to actually cast something for its surge cost? You know, right. so you got to have something in there. So I, I, you know, that makes sense. So, so you, what you're saying basically is some of the low drop creatures that are the ones with the big butts yeah. that come down early, that, that take care of, any sort of inkling of an aggro plan load up your your early drops with those um removal's obviously good because we're playing limited and that should be obvious to to almost anyone and just stall out until you can get up to the top of your curve right so so no so in blue black uh culling drone which you played six months ago because you were gonna race in there and start start um, ingesting cards from your opponent's library so that you could play cool processor effects later. Well, you're not doing that with with very few exceptions in the current format. But you know what? Now you're still playing him because he's a two-drop and he gets in the way of the other guy's, you know, bear sometimes. And then you're playing Blinding Drone because he's a 1-3 that blocks. And then eventually, no, you don't, you don't build your deck going, uh-oh, if I don't have colorless mana to activate blinding drone on turn three then he's a waste of time no later in the game he becomes a one three that that is dangerous for your opponent because it cheaply taps something down every turn early in the game just use it as a one three cool so i i guess you know sealed is one of those things that there's 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 kind of a formula to it if if you know sealed you can at least do a reasonable job of constructing a deck. Now, the problem is this team sealed is unique because it is your decks are going to look a little closer to like the draft decks. Right. And I have drafted God. I think I've only drafted. Did I draft twice or once? I don't know. The only draft I remember was going Oh three in a team draft Hmm. and going, okay, all right. And just feeling horrible. So that's the only that's my only draft experience uh was just completely just wrecking it and doing terrible. 
Well, but- so you you've you've seen the decks that have been winning. What, what what's 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 been working? What what are the? I mean, we, I guess I kind of know the archetypes, but what's been working? What have you been seeing win? Has there been any sort of pattern to it? Good. Well, I would like to share about that. The first of all, though, I want to say it's that the 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 great thing about uh, practicing with good players. Um, when I won the PPTQ, um, up until that point, I hadn't won an oath draft yet. Um, I was drafting every week, but I wasn't winning, and it's because I was playing with really good players. And um, frankly, you know, the, P- the both PPTQ top eight booster drafts were clearly softer than my regular weekly draft. Um, but of course, that doesn't mean necessarily you'll do better. But I'm just saying it, it did. It prepared me well, and so the first draft I've won in this format was was in the top eight of a PPTQ. So um, that. That meant somehow I got a little bit of a leg up on these other guys because because we have a good group to draft with and and because I'm a super nerd even when I'm not the one winning the drafts I collect the decks from the winners every week and um, and that way compile over February for example uh, ten different winning draft decks and these draft decks didn't win. Um, didn't win a variance filled single elimination bracket. These decks all won, uh, you know, uh, kind of the equivalent of a f- three or four round Swiss tournament. Right. And I'm looking at it and I see, uh, I see a lot more green again, a lot more green than six months ago, where we all knew with battle that the green cards just weren't very good. And you, even though green is always green is like automatically a little better in sealed people feel it you still didn't really get you didn't play you didn't want to play that much green in battle for zendikar even in sealed but particularly not in draft it took a it took a very special group of cards to make a green black battle for zendikar deck good but if you know if you could get them if you could get them then you could you could get there but now people play um, let's see, out of the 10 winning decks in February at my house on Tuesday nights, one, two, three, three different green-white decks, very similar ally-based decks, uh, two other green decks, uh, one green-black and a green-red. And that green-black was what you would expect. Um, it's a little amazing that the the worst thing about drafting green but it's a draft problem. It's not a sealed deck problem. That's why you'll be better off when you try to build your green deck as one of the as one of the decks in your team sealed, because you're not having to wait to get l- lucky to see if you. In other words, the problem when you draft green right now is that the one or two best cards in your deck might be um, might be green cards from battle your third booster. Well, that's that could be uh, that could be problematic. Mm-hmm. So you draft good green white ally cards, but then you you still um more than anything else you're hoping for Christmas Day when you open Battle for Zendikar and you get a war collar or better yet you get past a Tajuru war collar mm-hmm. as well as the the one green and five right. beastmaster beastmaster. So those are the cards you want the most in that deck. I mean, there's a lot of other cards you'd like to, but those are the decks you're waiting. The cards you're waiting for, but you're having to draft a green white deck and then hope that you get lucky when you open the last pack. You, on the other hand, will be 
looking at all the cards, and you'll know already whether you have a war caller or you have a beast master, and um, you know to kind of help point yourself in that way. Of course, some of these green white decks didn't have either of those cards, and they still were winning decks because because uh, you know there's you you know the allied strategies are rock solid in your battle boosters. Well, they're pretty good. They're pretty good in green and white in the oath boosters too. So that's a solid way to go. So like I said, so so solidly five out of the ten decks had green in it. In fact, that that is the that is the most out of the, for one color out of those ten decks. Wow. The uh I can tell you that there's uh, even though Lawson's my son, who just turned 17, he loves aggro, and he's drafted aggro every week, and he's gotten very close. He's been in the Final Four every week but one in 2016, huh. but didn't break through and win any of those drafts. So that's one uh, piece of trivia related to the fact, the bottom line fact, that no aggro decks won in any of the are, are are included in any of the ten winning decks from February. Hmm. Um, the most powerful deck of the whole month was a red blue deck that kind of had a machine going. Now, part of that was a rare: the red, blue, and one, two, three, Jari. Uh, it's the one where you cast a second spell each turn. Yeah, draw a card. Jari in Ruin Diver. Two, two three for blue, red, and one. The second time, second card you play this turn, draw a card. And he played. Uh, I he really brought that deck. Brought me around on slip through space. Again, never I would, zero chance of me playing slip through space in sealed. But in um, I guess unless I had the perfect devoid deck or something. But in uh, in draft, it's a good card. Or again, we, we're talking about draft, but. When you play Team Sealed, you're going to build three decks that are pretty close to being booster draft quality decks. So, so it's definitely true. The um, LSV feels the same way that your your booster draft strategies inform what kind of decks you try to end up with in Team Sealed. And this red blue was badass. With um, now, while again, now one one. So um, I'd call the deck was a machine deck because it had two different sort of combos, and they're both uh, they're both play a second spell this turn combos. But because he has two of them, and because they're not neither one is that expensive in a forty card deck, you're extremely likely to have one or the other in in every single game. And of course, if you if you get the combo piece going that draws extra cards, it only, it increases the chances you'll get the second combo part in the same game, which is uh, Pyromancer's Assault, the enchantment for three and one mm, red. Very nice. Play a second spell, get a free uh, two points of damage that targets a creature or player. It's it's amazing when you don't have a creature to point that extra two damage at uh, your face, I guess, and make you lose quicker because because I've already used my actual spells to kill your creatures and my big monsters have been making you lose creatures and now I got this extra two points of damage I can't take can't you can't take it with you, they say. <laughs> right. So that deck is hot with multiple Umara entanglers, the two one prowess creature for one blue and one hmm. and now son of a gun now you're using cards that would traditionally be bad in sealed but 
But um, because if we were playing pure sealed, uh, you'd be wasting your time. You'd be trying to go fast in a format that has that everybody's deck has too much removal and has too many powerful cards that might land on five, six, or seven. So you're wasting your time with a fast creature like Umara Entangler. But in in team sealed. You're building three virtually draft quality decks. I keep saying that because I don't want I don't want to I don't like it when people say these decks are as good as draft decks because I don't think they are. But they're in the neighborhood. They're they're, they're to the point where you can start looking at archetypes. Right, exactly. And it's not necessarily it doesn't necessarily mean you're gonna have a deck with like three copies of like <laughs> a particular removal spell or but you could. But it's not it's not super likely right. But at least you get to the point where you can start taking advantage of synergies. Whereas, like, in, in Sealed, and I think that's one of my problems when I'm building Sealed, is that I've just, like, with a, with a set with so many synergies, I just lose sight of just the sheer power level of certain cards. And I kind of go, well, I've got this, you know, this this zombie deck. You know, I turn I, I turn into, like, the ultimate casual <laughs> when I'm building sealed. Cause I'm like, look at all these allies. Cool. And I think it's, it's easy for that to happen because battle for Zendikar beat us over the head. Turn, you know, dra- draft after draft sealed after sealed with the requirement that you play the synergy game or you're not going to win. You couldn't just put, well, I have, uh, I got a bunch of good blue cards and a bunch of good green cards. Why don't they, I'm two colors. That should be good enough. I do want to say right. color thing, and again, this is me for sealed, and now we're we're moving on to team sealed, which is more important because that's what you're doing this week. But um, uh, man, everyone was talking about their slick three color decks in sealed, and I'm telling you, um, I, and no matter what color combination, I almost always my third color in sealed this season is colorless. I I really I'm beating the drum for a, it makes a lot of sense to me that wizards overpowered some of these colorless cards. And of course, if you don't, if you A, don't open the colorless cards, that's not important. And if you B, don't have any lands that can make colorless mana, okay, well then you're out of the colorless game. But but when you got it, and I think that there was a huge number of creative ways to uh, to get your colorless mana, it's amazing that for me, in in regular Oath Sealed, I want two color i'm not gonna say it's always got to be i like blue white and blue black but it could be green white it could be black white definitely but i'm gonna probably have colorless as my third color if i have if i have some of these awesome colorless effects anyway but that's not, team sealed totally different yeah and it's and it's really and it's especially tough for me to break out of the the you know the admittedly good habit of sticking to two colors and not splashing a third and not trying to stretch my mana into oblivion. I have a lot of trouble breaking out of that. And I'm actually, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm relieved (laughs) that this team sealed is probably going to be the place for, you know, two color decks. Right. And and here's what we haven't heard yet for team sealed is both the article that you talked about earlier, which is a very good article by Ari and, and and the uh, the the high quality podcast that we were talking about regarding sealed and team sealed, um, they're all saying the same thing. You got five colors. You got three players. Yeah, obviously 
one of those colors probably gets shared much much more likely 10 to 9 to 1 more likely that you'll that the third deck will share a color with either the first or the second much more likely that that happens than that you somehow have two two colored decks and one mono colored deck but you know what no one's really talked about yet and I wouldn't know because I haven't opened 12 packs to build three decks before I haven't right. played this format for team sealed even though I I'd give anything to be with you to you know on another team or whatever in Washington this weekend is well maybe we have six colors now so I yeah I exactly no yeah I was thinking the same damn thing we we don't really have five colors we have six we've got six colors so maybe we don't have to share a color I think the I think if a deck were to be one color and as its second color col- a bunch of colorless stuff. Well, of course, it'll it could be the color you have the most avoid in, but off the top of my head, I got a feeling it'll be white or blue. I think it might be blue, because um, you got a lot of really powerful cards uh, that interact with the uh, with the colorless mana symbols in blue, right? Um, and you got guys making colorless creatures that are making colorless mana two three for three and two three for four. What I think, what I think, it wind At up common. Like, because I really feel like you're right about that. I think that like like blue colorless is a deck, and I think that like you might you just might not have enough playables to actually do that, you know. So you might need to splash a color, and it's probably black because some of the more powerful things that you would have that would also be devoid are in black. So I think that that's actually a real possibility. But like there are things that like you know the other black decks wouldn't share. Right. You know, so I think that, like, that actually might be, you know, just something to, to really keep in mind. Because, yes, I mean, like, that's the thing that, like, wasn't stressed. And, and, and this, is, this is coming to the same conclusion uh, that they did on the Limited Resources podcast, where you're going to have the blue colorless deck, but they weren't really talking about the colorless as a sixth color, which is what I really think it is. I really think it is, too. And And that, like... You know, yes, you, you may splash for black or for red for the extra devoid stuff, or maybe green or something. But like, ultimately, you're playing a two-color deck, and the deck is blue colorless. Right. And then you've got, you know, I'm almost certain I didn't need to listen to that podcast to know that Black White Allies was a real deck. You know, I didn't. You know, um, that was the that was the, like literally the only deck <laughs> that my mind was going okay. So when we open our pool, we build black white allies, and then what? Huh. <laughs> you know, that's kind of you know. I, 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 right. I well, I mean, you can't help it. It's thing. coming up over and over and over. Right. So I knew that's a thing, you know. But like, but and then you know, probably red green. I probably wind up with red green um, because I think that like running the red is going to be the hardest thing. So I really do feel like you know. The red green deck. I feel like there's probably red green. I'm probably gonna get stuck with it. <laughs> okay, well, let's talk about a red green deck. We had yeah. we had one good, one no- notable red green deck uh, during the month. Will you read me that list? Do you have the deck? yeah? And so he's you know uh, he's also Hedron Crawler. So and uh, I don't think he's activating colorless things. He's just accelerating mana and a deck with green in it. That makes sense to me. Okay. But it's still room for little guys like a pair of stalking drones. That's the two two that you oh, could pump to plus one plus two. Mm-hmm. Um, snapping Gnarled, 
uh, excellent. You know, yeah, he's not so good late, but um, but he's you know he's a he's a bear. You play him, mm-hmm. and then and then he's fixing his land with a natural connection and a pilgrim's eye. Yep. So you know that kind of gives away his deck as not being fully aggro or anything. He pl- went ahead and played a waste because he can get it with either of those two spells. Mm-hmm. He had a life spring druid to accelerate mana and still block a two two and kill it. He had a devour in flames. He had uh, relentless hunter is the red green and one three three uncommon. So playable then, okay? Yeah, definitely cool. playable. It's funny that yeah that pump is kind of gross that you cost a red and a green and a one to get plus one plus one. I've played that creature a bunch of times and been happy to have the three three for three. I I haven't pumped it very often. Right on, yeah. He played Chitinous Cloak, which uh, I I can kind of buy it. I um, boy, the guys on on limited resources really hated as they were introducing Oath. Really, were hating on for several weeks the equipment, and I agree with them in as much as n- none of it is so good that you like. Let's take these high or anything like that. But it couldn't. It can make your deck Chitinous Cloak equips. Costs, I guess it costs three, it, but it equips for three. But then good things happen. Your creature is plus two, plus two. That's good all by itself. And now your creature has menace. That's good almost all by itself. Right. Putting those two things together in a reusable thing that you can snap on one creature after another, that's a very good thing. Mm-hmm. Um, this, his deck, he had, he had a Nettle Drone, even though his deck was, not, was clearly not going for Devoid. He's got a nettle drone because it's a three one, but but it can it uh, untaps for free for let's count them: hedron crawler, reality hemorrhage, two different stalking drones. It re, it untaps for pilgrim's eye, chitinous cloak, uh, catacomb sifter, and three copies. And this was his MVP: three copies of scion summoner. Hmm. Two two one green and two for a two two that brings a eldrazi scion with it. Uh, and he, he had, oh, he did splash black. He had an he had an oblivion strike. We had the the catacomb sifter as well. Oh, right, exactly. Yeah. So he's got a little splash there. He had two, uh, but anyway. So uh, um, his nettle drone untapped plenty of times, and if it doesn't, then it's a three one, and it blocks, and it kills something. You know, we move on. It's it doesn't. That's a you know sometimes people you'll get into a thing where. You don't want a card in a deck because you you don't think you don't like you might not put a you might not trust the nettle drone because you you see that you won't be doing the optimal nettle drone trick of shooting your opponent a million times and then tapping a million times because you don't have three or you know someone who's bummed because they didn't get the multiple nettle drone package. Hey, it's hmm. good all by itself and it's good even if it's not if its main job isn't pinging. And well, you know, this guy did have a Tajuru Beastmaster, uh, you know, just a good solid deck. But it, oh, I've liked the Beastmaster fine. It's I mean, very, it's, you know, it's, it's very good. How let's see how many, um, how many guys trigger the Beastmaster besides himself in this deck? Um, not very, maybe just none. So, but <laughs> but anyway, but it's a big monster. You would a million times in Magic, you would have been willing to pay green and five for a five five. And and the one time effect, if it if it is just a one time effect, that's great. Yeah, right. So yeah, I mean, I'm gonna I'm gonna play a little more sealed over the next couple nights, you know, before I leave, just to kind of get a feel for it a little bit more. But 
I think that you know talking to you has really helped me out a little bit okay. and has given me some some guidance as I get ready to take this trip. Well, I this wish it were me and you again. Greyhound trip. Uh, because uh, I so want to get revenge for, you know, for us not doing as well as we would have liked. And uh, from from Grand Prix Detroit. And you know as well as I, or you know as well as I do, that so just so many things that the second that it doesn't work out, all you want is can we push the button and do it again? Uh, <laughs> we'll communicate more. We'll work on the decks more. We'll hurry. <laughs> right. Well, you know, there is no going back. It, but it, it was still fun, and I'm glad we had that first experience. And that first experience of being there and doing it is is going to probably help me more than any talk or any strategy. You know, just actually having that experience of registering right. three decks and just doing the whole process already in that high-pressure setting. That's why that Ari article is so good. Is loved. I loved how he's really giving you the rules for that. That first part was so smart, and that would have been so good for us if we had read his article, if, the, if it had existed before we went to Grand Prix Detroit, on right. knowing what the rules are on how you can communicate and uh, getting that stuff down cold. Because, you know, the, the few things that you can study for before a sealed deck test – you want to make sure you have those. Right, right. And we're going to link to, obviously, the the two things that we've been talking about over and over again. The uh, the Arielax article and the limited resources uh, episode will be both linked in the show notes uh, for easy access. Because... Um, That's just another service that you can count on from Joe Panesca. Yeah. There are very few services you can count on from me. But including things in the show notes is sometimes one of them, unless I forget. Cool. So, anyway, I think we're going to wrap up here. <laughs> because I think we've actually gone longer than I had originally intended. But I don't really care. And uh, I'll be joined next by Stephen Marshall to talk about some Shadows over Innistrad spoilers. So, Jeff, thank you for coming on the show. Thanks in advance for lending me a deck for the Hunter Burton, which I will get you a list of what I want. My pleasure. Um, the, the list will include, most likely will include Ruin in Their Wake. Love it. Uh-huh, because I like it. And I, and I want to play Mono Green Ramp. It was the first deck I ever played, the first deck I ever built myself, and it's going to be the last constructed deck I play as an active player. I'm super excited. Active player, finish your turn. There are no additional turns. <laughs> well, thank so. you for having me on the show tonight. And when you, uh, when you, the next time you talk to me, <clears throat> um, this is just me baiting you a little bit. Uh, the uh, the next time you, next time you talk to me, uh, ask me why I have, um, why I have all fifty complete sets that happen to be part of modern all stacked up on the table in the guild hall and we'll we'll have a little talk about that there's there's 50 there's 50 sets in modern at this moment and uh and i have uh, all of them stacked up one one pile for each set in the guild hall right now and 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 i have a baby kitten that those two things don't actually go together very well no they don't um 
I, I have a feeling I know exactly why, and it's really exciting. <laughs> All right, we'll talk about that next time. Yes, yes, we will. Yes, we will. Maybe, maybe we'll talk about that next time on the podcast Good. before this podcast wraps. Good. That's cool. Well, we can talk about that sometime. But, Thanks, uh, Joe. Anyway. And give my best to Steven. And one other thing about he lost track of time a little bit. Ask him if he has a nice wristwatch collection. I believe he does. And I don't. I don't. If he does, I guarantee he doesn't know where any of them are. Yeah, well, that may be true. And then you can tell him the the famous saying is that a man with a wristwatch always knows what time it is. A man with two watches is never sure. Talk to you later. See everybody. Bye. Okay, I'm here now with Stephen. Hello. Hours later, he's here. He made it back. So we're going to talk some spoilers here uh, for Shadows Over Innistrad. Uh, we're just going to go down the list from where we left off. I will start. Go. Uh, Pick the Brain is a black and two. It's a sorcery. It's uncommon. Target opponent reveals his or her hand. You choose a non-land card from it and exile that card. And then you has Delirium. If there are four or more card types among cards in your graveyard, search that player's graveyard hand and library for any number of cards with the same name as the exiled card. Exile those cards. Then that player shuffles his or her library. I'm not uh. sure. <laughs> well, you know, um, well, it's, it's non-land. I'm just trying to think of applications with, like, Oblivion Sower, or you could use this with Wasteland Strangler, you know, uh, just a couple, you know, because there are. Yeah, it it's an, it enables it, but it's so expensive. It is, it is, um, and the fact that you have to have like that. I mean, what was the? It's one mana cheaper than the spells that just do that automatically. Yeah, and the requirement to have four or more card types in your graveyard. That's so unreliable. It's it's just like. I feel like it's I feel like that is like that cost is way more than one generic mana. You know what I mean? Yeah, this I wouldn't play this in limited. I'm not going to play it constructed. Nope. I don't think so either. All well, right. I'm not a fan. Read this bygone bishop. <laughs> sure. Bygone bishop is two and a white for a 2/3 creature spirit cleric with flying and whenever you cast a creature spell with converted mana cost 3 or less, investigate Investigate is a keyword that says you put a colorless clue artifact token onto the battlefield with two mana, sacrifice this artifact, draw a card. And this is a rare. It is a rare. This is a a pretty weak feeling rare. I mean, it is a flyer. It's pretty inexpensive. Maybe these clue tokens are going to make a big difference, but I don't know. Kind of odd. You know what the thing that really kind of sucks, though, about these artifact tokens, though? They're tokens, so they don't help you with delirium. No. Doesn't that suck? <laughs> yeah, and that this, really is, sucks. this is a weird card for limited and constructed, because limited is not really based around low drop creatures once you get like a three drop in play. Because usually yeah. you curve up to the three drop, and then you don't really have a lot of ones. You don't ever have any ones in limited. You don't really have a ton of twos or threes left after you get to a three drop. 
I don't know, though, dude. This next one is actually one that I'm pretty excited about. Sure. Yeah, I mean, I think, I mean, obviously, a two, three, okay, you know what? I, I'm being way too harsh. A two, three flyer for three is just fine. It is just fine. It's, In it's limited. good. It, I don't see this seeing any constructed play whatsoever. No, not at all. I have no idea what clue tokens are going to do for, for constructed. If there's something that counts up the number of artifacts that you have and deals damage equal to them in lim- in constructed, then maybe great. But I don't think so. Yeah, they they have such a marginal value, especially for like a creature based deck that I don't know how to evaluate. Right, like shrapnel blast isn't even legal in standard anymore. So it's just like okay, like I would be like super excited if shrapnel blast was around because you could just be like <laughs> clue token shrapnel blast, you know, like yeah. That would be cool. Maybe Shrapnel Blast shows up in this set. Who knows? I doubt it with the number of artifacts that they're making uh, just on these cards. Um, now, uh, Air of Falconrath is a really cool card. One in a black. And I think this is going to be a really aggressive format. Like, really aggressive. Limit. Uh, I have no idea. I, I I can't I can't make any judgment on the format until I see all the commons. Sure, sure. I think it's going to be really aggressive just based off of some of the stuff we've seen so far. But anyway, let me read this card. Air of Falcon Wrath. It's a <laughs> Falcon Wrath. <laughs> yeah, it's one of the tribes of uh, vampires in Innistrad. <laughs> I thought. No, I just like no. I'm just laughing because of the way I pronounced it. Very metal. Falcon Wrath. I think that's. Really a great name for both a metal band and possibly this episode as well. It's an uncommon. It's a vampire. It's 2-1. Discard a card. Transform. Heir of Falconrath. Activate this ability only once each turn. And it transforms into a 3-2 flying vampire berserker. Mm-hmm. And there's no flip back. That's the interesting thing about this. Is it doesn't flip back. It's just a 3-2 flyer. Once you discard, all you got to do is discard a card, and you got a 3-2 flyer for two. That's really good. It's not bad. It's I mean, insane. it's going to be good. It's uh, the, the, the downside is very limited. It's, you usually no, have... the downside isn't even a downside with Madness cards in the set. No, yeah. I mean, if you build your deck around it. I'm just saying like a 2-1 for two is the downside. That's it. And that's not that bad. It's not. It's not that bad at all. It's it, oh man, I love this card. <laughs> that card is right up my alley. I like it a lot. Um, now imagine following that turn up with this card on turn three. Why don't you read it? Sure. Incorrigible youths. <laughs> three red red uh, for a creature vampire. Four three with haste. And it's got madness, so you could if you discard the card. Oh, I didn't know about this. Discard it into exile when you do cast it for its madness cost, or put it into your graveyard. Is that was that the was that the text for madness originally? No, it definitely wasn't uh, the text because it was a million years ago. Yeah, so they've just kind of updated it, but. Um... I guess it makes it easier to sequence it and like make sense. Um, yeah. Interesting. So anyway, you tell me this isn't an aggressive format, and we've got a two-drop 
that you can discard this two as your three drop and swing for seven on turn three. Yeah, if you happen That's to insane. be insane. If it's you a, happen to be playing black red vampires, probably with the, like these both of these uncommons. Yes. Yeah. So far, yeah. That's amazing. I mean, that's I mean that's that's aggressive as hell though, right? Uh, yeah. I mean, otherwise a three like five mana for four three haste is not good. No, it's not. But so, the madness cost is obviously what you want to cast this for. Sure. Yeah, you have to construct your deck to utilize that. Right. You think you won't be playing Black Red Madness in Limited anytime soon? I have no idea. I gotta see how many enablers. I I will crunch the numbers when the full set's out. Okay, fair enough. Alright. I don't crunch numbers. I just go on my with my gut. My gut tells me this is going to be an aggressive format. Giralf's Masterpiece, which... If you notice, what is Giralf's masterpiece? I have no idea. It's Grizzlebrand. Oh, is it? Giralf's masterpiece is Grizzlebrand. How cool is that? <laughs> is that what he is in the picture? I can't. I can barely tell. I'm pretty sure it is. Yeah. It doesn't look like it. It looks like a version of him, like a Mecha Grizzlebrand. Uh, he got Giralf standing there on the ledge, and he's got his masterpiece. Which, of course, is a 7-7 flyer, just like Grizzlebrand. This is uh, a zombie horror. Did Grizzlebrand die and Gerald brought him back to life? Maybe. Yeah, maybe. that's quite possible. So this is the thing. Gerald's Masterpiece is uh, blue, two blue and three. Uh, and it's a mythic rare. It's a 7-7 zombie horror with flying. Now, just those stats alone make, would make this one of the most insane cards I've ever seen. Uh, but it gets minus one, minus one for each card in your hand. So you can't play it with a full hand. Uh, but then listen to this. This is, ins- this is insane. A blue and three. Discard three cards. Return Giralf's Masterpiece from your graveyard to the battlefield tapped. That's not even sorcery speed. That's an instant speed thing. Now, you need three cards in hand yeah. to pay the cost. You need three cards in hand and have already gotten this in your graveyard. Right. Which doesn't seem hard to get this. Like The worst case scenario is that you don't get this into your graveyard because it's killing them. <laughs> so Yeah, I could see you, like, you loot this away with your Jace on like, turn two or three discard a bunch of cards, bring it back to the battlefield, and then, uh, like, now you've got a bunch of stuff to dig through time with? I don't know. Although, uh, that's not really getting you anywhere. You're still down, like, you like two cards. Right, right. This is still a great card. It's, I mean, it's obviously one of the best top decks you could ever hope for. In limited? Play- yeah, of course. Everything I say is in limited. Oh, well, sure. Everything I ever say is in limited. Yeah, Mythic Rare Flyer is good and limited. <laughs> right. Well, that's not that's not rocket science, but I'm just saying, like, you know, the drawback is fairly real. You know, you play this on turn five, you're probably playing like a 3-3 three, three or a 4-4 four, four flyer good. for five, which is actually still good. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I'm not. Sure. I have, I don't know how to evaluate that. We evaluate this card. I don't. I don't. I don't see it as. Uh, I don't see it in constructed, but maybe. I'm not sure about it in constructed, but uh, sure do want to open one like crazy. Um, 
Relentless Dead. You want to read that one? First of all, uh, noted on twi- on Facebook that the that is the same stained glass as Endless Ranks of the Dead. Uh, it's, oh, because they broke through. That's funny. Uh, yeah, Relentless Dead, Black Black, Creature, Zombie, Mythic Rare, 2-2. Two, two. It has Menace. And when it dies, you may pay one black mana, and if you do, return it to its owner's hand. When it dies, you may pay X mana if you do return another target zombie creature card with converted mana cost X from your graveyard to the battlefield. This I could definitely see getting some sort of constructed play in a zombie deck if there is a zombie deck to be had. Mm -hmm. And why wouldn't there be? I don't know. Some people hate fun, I guess. I mean, yeah, it's possible. And that's why there wouldn't be a zombie deck. But Yeah, this is pretty good. I mean, obviously, getting it back at minimum... You're probably you're always going to pay black, you know. You're just always going to pay black. That's not um, true. What if you just have one of these in your uh, in your graveyard? Another one. You just pay one mana, and now it's on the battlefield instead. No, you don't. You pay two mana. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. converted back house. Yeah, you're right. Whatever. Risen Risen Executioner is actually going to see some play now, maybe from dragons. Two black. Oh, so the um... zombie warrior four three. Can't block other zombie creatures you control. Get plus one, plus one. You may cast it from your graveyard if you pay one more to cast it for each other creature card in your graveyard. Wait, that was in dragons. There was a dragons. zombie lord. There's a zombie lord in dragons. There's a zombie lord in dragons. Leave. I've been waiting. Oh yeah. Oh my god. I have that's this cute awesome. up ready to go for shadows over Innistrad. Oh, that's amazing. Okay. Oh, that's right. I remember that friggin' thing. That's right. Yeah, I never saw any play. Right, because what the hell deck is needs a zombie lord ever? I uh, know. I tried. Trust me. Yeah. So yeah. Well, you know good. He's also uh, good at making zombies. Unfortunately, conflicts with uh, this uh, Risen Executioner, Kalitas huh. making a bunch of zombies. Oh man, pretty nice. Liliana, she'll make you some zombies. A token, at least. Might be onto something. Nantuko Hus technically a zombie. I don't know where where you'd be going with that. <laughs> also technically an insect. Yeah, insect insect zombie. And we have another insect to talk about right now. It's an aberrant researcher. I kind of like the fact that he starts out as a human insect. That's a little weird, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. Is he actually an insect on the picture? Yeah, he kind of is, isn't he? That's just weird. Human insect? All right. Blue and three is uncommon. He's a human insect. He's a three-two flyer for four. Already not terrible. At the beginning of your upkeep, put the top card of your library into your graveyard. If it's an instant or sorcery card, transform aberrant researcher, and it transforms into perfected form. And it is a five-four flyer. Oh, okay, that makes sense. See, this is such a cool flavor. The quote on the front is, metamorphosis is a process. Mm-hmm. Laboratory notes. And then the uh, perfected form flavor text. The final pages of the experiment log were blank. Investigators found it abandoned on a, dark, on a desk in the researcher's lab. Open, the pages flipping in the wind from a shattered window. <laughs> That's funny. Yeah, I mean, it's such a blatant, I guess, it, you can't even call it a remix of Delver of Secrets because... It's just so similar. Yeah, but it's like, you know, I mean, it's a little more expensive. Uh, plays nice with Delver of Secrets. Yeah. 
I mean, it's cool. They got the same artist and everything, so. Yeah. That's cool. Pretty neat. I like it, obviously. Um, Want to play the crap out of it. Uh, I think it it, 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 it it could disappoint even in limited. But I think it's like the base level 3-2 flyer for 4 is not like a bad place to start. That's just fine. You know? Yeah, it was like and that it, Mantis or whatever from Battle for Zendikar that was like, yeah, yeah, you're right. If you've got some sort of, I mean, there's there's got to be some sort of self-mill kind of deal going on here. So even if you're like blanking on the flip, but you're getting like creatures in your graveyard or something, that might not be bad either, you know? Mm-hmm. So, so it could have other upside outside of just like successfully flipping it. So we'll see. I mean, obviously, we don't know the whole set yet, but um, we'll see where that actually winds up going. Uh, read this card. This is the card that people are actually really excited about across multiple formats. Oh, yeah. Shard of Broken Glass is uh, <laughs> one mana for an artifact equipment. Uh, equipped creature gets plus one, plus zero, and whenever equipped creature attacks, you may put the top two cards of your library into your graveyard. So, yeah, you know, you get some self-mill going on. And the equip's only one, so uh, it's got that going for it. So it's, like, it's like a little bit better than a bone saw, but, you know, it costs a little more on the front end, so... I can see why people are getting pretty jazzed. Yeah, I mean, and this in combination with the other one, I mean, you're milling three cards a turn, and you got a 4-2 flyer, which is much better. Yeah. Now read the real friggin' card. Okay, oh, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Declaration and stuff. Tamio's Journal. Oh, is that really? No. Okay. Read the Declaration in Stone. Declar- the art's sweet as hell. Uh, it is uh, amazing art. I hope that's like a playmat. Yeah. Whoa. What if that's the playmat for Albuquerque? Be sweet. Uh, Declaration Stone. One and a white sorcery exile target creature and all other creatures. Its controller controls with the same name as that creature. That player investigates for each non-token creature exile this way. So you can put some some clue tokens on the battlefield. Yeah. It's uh, it's cheap unconditional removal, which we have just. Just not had whatsoever in standard right uh, recently. Yeah, really cheap, and the fact that it hits like more than one creature potentially—that's insane. Uh, yeah, it's fantastic in standard. Um, I re- I don't I don't see its applications outside of like standard. I don't see it being played in modern. No. No, I mean I think Path of Path Exile is just better. Oh, with Eldrazi mimic. It only changes the turn the creature comes into play, right? Yes. So, like, and this is sorcery speed. If this was instant speed, well, first of all, it'd be one of the most amazing removal cards of all time. But if it were instant speed, they could play a thought not seer. Well, then they take your declaration of stone. Yeah. Yeah. You just. Yeah. God, I can't. Yeah, I'm so glad I don't have to ever play modern again. <laughs> I mean, and are you really doing it if you like hit one of their spirit tokens from Lingering Souls and now they can just like draw a bajillion cards? Yeah, it doesn't seem good. I mean, he's like, gotcha. <laughs> like, I don't know. Yeah, there's like, so many. There's so yeah, many. Yeah, let me let me draw four cards. I'm sure I'll hit another Lingering Souls. There are so many situations where I feel like, oh, this card would be so good in that situation. But those situations all would require it to be an instant. So, nah. Anyway, so yeah. 
Uh, I mean, I, I'm not going to poo-poo it too much. It's it's the amazing first pick in Limited, and it'll definitely, absolutely, 100% bet your bottom dollar and all the clue tokens you can shake a stick at. It'll see play in standard. True. Agreed. Tamio's Journal. Tamio's Journal is kind of interesting, actually, and this is one payoff for having multiple clue tokens laying around. Tamio's Journal costs five. It's a rare, it's a legendary artifact. At the beginning of your upkeep, investigate. So you get invest, you get a toke clue every turn. And then tap, sacrifice three clues. Just tap, no mana cost. Search your library for a card and put that card into your hand. Then shuffle your library. That seems really good. I mean, it's kind of expensive, but the demonic tutor on a stick, potentially repeatable is not something to overlook. Yeah, I mean, it's an interesting card, like, if you have a limited deck that goes into the long game. Right. Although it does cost five mana, so you have to... Your deck has to plan on going to the long game because the payoff for this card is five mana. In one turn, you get to pay two mana to draw a card. Or if you have a clue-themed deck, sure, Drop it, tap it, and demonic tutor, which is kind of cool. Hey, Stephen. Sure. Hello. Why don't you read Avicinian missionaries for me? Yeah, why don't you pay me for it? No thank. No. Uh, yeah, Av- oh, Avicinian missionaries. Three to white creature, human cleric. Three three uncommon. At the beginning of your end step, if Avicin- ah, if Avicinian missionaries is equipped, transform it. And the transformed card is Lunark Inquisitors. And they're human clerics, but they're four fours, I guess. Uh, when this creature transforms into Lunark Inquisitors, you may exile another target creature until Lunark Inquisitors leaves the battlefield. Pretty interesting. The transform is kind of silly. It's, yeah, it is weird. Yeah. Because, like, yeah, they're just, you, they, you, you equip them and then they turn into Fiend Hunters when they transform. Um, it's just weird because a lot of the transform cards transform from like one color to a different color or like into different things. And it's just like their transform is we've got equipment now. That is true. And like, look, there's all of a sudden a guillotine in the background. That's funny. It's just really silly. It's a really, really silly artwork. Yeah, going to need to see some better equipment before I start putting these in my limited deck. Right, but what What a fun, it's just a really weird piece of art. I like it a lot. It's so strange. But yeah, I mean, obviously if there's good equipment, that ability is really good. You get rid of a creature and you come through with a 4-4. That's at least a 4-4 because it's going to be equipped, you remember. Mm-hmm. You know, so you'll actually have, you know, some buff to it at some point. And uh, not too bad, but again, I wouldn't count on it based on the last few sets where they had like equipment matters cards that just did nothing. Yeah, <laughs> maybe this will be the time. Who knows? Fingers That's crossed. True. Oh, I'm yeah. such a skeptic. So <laughs> curmudgingly, curmudgingly, yeah. curmudgingly. I don't know. Well, you know, I mean, some of us, uh, you know, some of us question things and yeah, lives and some of us appear in Dinesh D'Souza documentaries. I mean, so, you know. So psyched. I'm going to watch that thing. It's hilarious, man. <laughs> That's the one you were in. Freaking awesome. 
Is that the one you were in? Yes. Okay, great. That's yeah, there's awesome. that little scene where they show uh, the the rally or whatever that is for uh-huh. uh, whoever that Mayor Daly. I'm in that scene. You know, you can't see. I mean, you know, you're in a crowd, but that, right, I right. filming that. That was fun. That's so funny. Oh, yeah. So I didn't actually click on the trailer, but you're not in the trailer, though. <laughs> Why would I be in the trailer? I'm an extra. Well, Oh, you were you had a part at one Background. point. Yeah, that's true. We'll see. You had a bit of a bit of a, a bit of a more solo part in it, so yeah, I'm interested to see it. <laughs> God, I'll have to watch that whole damn thing and not even be remotely in it. I have to make sure I don't accidentally give a single penny to that guy though. Oh, I'm gonna go see the, it the theater probably. Jeez, that's funny. I got nothing better to do. <laughs> true <laughs> all right so archangel avison this is probably going to actually be the play mat for albuquerque they really like those flip mats and apparently people do too i can't imagine it'd be, it'd be a pretty sweet one you know yeah um so archangel avison is uh th- two white and three. Oh my god i didn't even see that part it's a four four it's a legend, obviously. Flash. I didn't see the flash. Oh, that's the best part. Flash, flying, vigilance. When it enters the battlefield, creatures you control gain indestructible until end of turn. When a non-angel creature you control dies, transfer, transfer, transform Archangel Avacyn at the beginning of the next upkeep. And then Avacyn the Purifier is a 6-5 flying. When this creature transforms into Avacyn the Purifier, it deals 3 damage to each other creature and each opponent. Do we need to say anything else about that? I think we're good. We read the text. Yeah, it's fantastic. I think anyone who plays Magic the Gathering, who listens to this podcast, I mean, if you you probably not listening to this podcast if you don't play Magic the Gathering, right? That's yeah. I mean, yeah. This this card's amazing. Um, It it actually fits into like a deck already because it just goes right into band um, collected company because Wingmate rocks rotating, so they could use a three white white flyer. This one actually plays as a flash theme, so you know you can still play it instant speed. You know with your Bounding Crasises and Collected Companies. It, it also plays well with the, uh, oh god, Eldrazi Sky Spawners, because you can flash her in, sack the Sky Spawner, and to trigger her flip if you really wanted to do that. Oh my god. That's um, so and because it's a legendary creature that actually transforms, you can then, like, you, you don't get punished for running multiples because you can flip her and then, like, on your upkeep, flash in the, the, the other one to give your creatures indestructible so that her, like, three damage doesn't kill your guys. Oh, shut up! Yeah, that's ridiculous. It's different cards now, so you like. So it's kind of like it's kind of like how Gideon. You can run multiple of those, even though it's like a planeswalker, because you know you can just always just emblem it. This one you can just flash in your archangel after flipping into a purifier on your upkeep, because yeah, you just flash it in there in step. Second Eldrazi's uh, uh, token, right? Flip it and then flash in archangel, the other archangel in your hand, and you're you're going to town. Wait, so they, they 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 don't both live though. They do. How is that? No, They're different creatures. No, you can't. Archangel Avison and Avison the Purifier are different cards. 
Because it doesn't say legendary creature like Avacyn. Like, it doesn't say Planeswalker Avacyn. You're right. Yeah. Wow. Uh-huh. Wow. Yeah, you're doing wow. it there. Yeah, so... You- I thought it was Avacyn, comma. Because if it was Avacyn, comma, on both sides... Nope. Then it would it would matter, right? Isn't that right? Yeah. I don't know. It's just I mean, a legendary creature angel that's called Archangel Avacyn. Oh, my God. Avacyn, comma, the Purifier is a different card. That is crazy. Yeah. I don't like it. <laughs> yeah. And, I, I like mean, not all. that you need another excuse, but, you know, Eldrazi Displacer, you're looking for something to blink. <laughs> it's not bad. Jesus. I've seen worse targets. Oh, my God. And um, you love it, obviously. But it's ridiculous. Know, those are just some of the things. Like, it immediately, like, you know, I, I, it got the gears a turn as soon as I saw it. Yeah, that's ridiculously stupid. Um Here's another card that lends credence to my theory that we are going to be playing in an aggressive limited format. Ravenous Bloodseeker. One in a red. Creature Vampire Berserker. It is an uncommon. It's a 1-3. And it says, discard a card. Ravenous Bloodseeker gets plus 2, minus 2 until end of turn. Do not. Do not. Activate this ability twice per turn. That's just a really aggressive creature. I really like it. And you can combo it really nice with... Just the wind. Just uh, the wind. Yeah, just, just the wind. Just the wind. Not what I edited out. One a blue. <laughs> Instant return target creature to its owner's hand. Madness for a blue. That's not bad. It's not amazing, but it's not bad. No, it's fine. It's got madness. Yeah, I mean, we'll, we'll it's see like, like how good like some my I we'll see because I could imagine a world where you just you just want every card that says madness on it. Yeah, well, you know, one in a blue for this ability isn't the worst in the world. You can just run this, you know. But if you have madness, I mean, almost all of the madness enablers are upside. Where you know, ravenous bloodseeker discard a card for a bonus. And, you know, just having that little extra, you know, you discard a card and you are able to cast the card. And it's just great. So this is this is a fine card. It's probably not anything but Ravenous Bloodseeker. I guess you could discard your hand if you really wanted to. I don't know why you would want to do that, though. Uh, for your Giralf's Messenger? I guess. I have no idea why you would do that. Okay, never mind. Oh, well, yeah, you could get really big, I guess. Okay. I like Thing in the Ice. Uh, it's one, a blue for a whoa stop moving around a creature horror it's an 04 defender and thing in the ice enters the battlefield with four ice counters on it whenever you cast an instant or sorcery spell remove an ice counter from thing in the ice then if it has no ice counters on it transform it now this is important to note because that text means that you cannot combo this with vampire hex mage unless you then you have to still cast one instant or sorcery spell. Oh, real? Oh, yeah. Then if it, yeah, yep, yep, yep. So, so you, if you're thinking, ooh, just vampire hex mage removes the counters, flip it over, like dark depths. Nope, it ain't that way. So, you can get all the counters off of it with dark depth or with uh, vampire hex mage, but then you still need to cast an instant or sorcery spell to actually flip it. You're probably better off just trying to do this the real way rather than running vampire hex mage in your deck. Yeah. Uh, yeah, this is probably, 
in a control deck or something like that. Uh, Awoken or in Delver? Uh, maybe. Yeah, dude, in Delver. Are you kidding? They play so many instants and sorceries. Yeah, just play a freaking Tarmogoyf then. Yeah, play this and play Tarmogoyf. Yeah, but then you. Nah, I don't know. This is anyway. This isn't amazing in modern. What does it transform to? I disagree. What does it transform into? Awoken horror. It's a creature, Kraken Horror, 7-8. When this creature transforms into Awoken Horror, return all non-horror creatures to their owner's hands. That's awesome. I mean, what? That's amazing. You know what? Insectile Aberration is actually not a horror. Didn't know that. Oh, really? Yeah, but the new one is when it flips. The new one is, right? Yeah, interesting. Uh, this is, I mean, uh, yeah, this is interesting. I think it could see playing like a blue control deck. You're just running a bajillion horror, um, not horrors, but uh, instances and sorceries because this blocks like everything. Right. That's a two or three drop. It's just kind of a bummer that Reflector Mage is in the format. <laughs> Getting this thing bounced. It's kind of a feel bad. Well, you know, Reflector Mage is unplayable in uh, in standard. It was only meant for limited play. So everybody will respect that and keep that card out of their decks. You know what's hilarious? It doesn't even see play in limited. <laughs> no, no one plays blue white in draft. Mm-mm. Like the, I see these things wheel, not these things. You know, reflect in the ice probably won't wheel. Uh, I have Even no idea. Not, That's a lot not, for limited. It is. It is. That's like all of your instants and sorceries in a typical deck. But it is an O four wall for two, in what I think might be an aggressive format. So there's that to consider as well, with the huge upside. Yeah, you got to you got to do a ton of work to make this happen, though. Yeah, you got to do a ton of work, but worth the work, I think. Uh, I'm going to back up real quick and just read uh, Reaper of Flight Moon Silver because, first of all, what the hell is that name? It's a three-three for two white and three. It's a creature angel. It's an uncommon. It has flying. And it has delirium. Now, this delirium thing, you know, we're not sure how easy it's going to be to to get it going. But sacrifice delirium, sacrifice another creature. Reaper of Flight Moon Silver gets plus two, plus one until end of turn. Activate this ability only if there are four more card types among cards in your graveyard. I like it. I like the fact that this could potentially be like a Nantuko Husk kind of thing to end the game late. Yeah, like, I mean, possibly. I big, you know, I have this flyer. It seems like a really good finisher if, like, you're able to get into a position where you can have your opponent tapped out and just sack all your things and bleh. But obviously they're going to hopefully try to play around that. Regardless, you know, this is a powerful uncommon. Uh, It takes a little bit of work. I mean, like, the base stats, like, without if it didn't have Delirium... Then a no. <laughs> like, uh, five mana, three, three flyer is like a common level power. No, yeah, no, it's not good at all. But, no, I'm talking about with Delirium Active, which, you know, that's potentially a, it's a late game thing. And I'm you and know, you'd have to be this. like an aggressive deck. Well, I'm thinking of this as a late game finisher for some sort of aggressive deck. Yeah. I yeah, I don't know. I'll just, I mean, this, this, this set's kind of weird. I'll, like, this whole set is really going to be dependent upon knowing the entire set because like then you'll know if madness works and then you'll know if delirium is actually a thing or if like the, the game will end before you get delirium active is there enough self mill like i just it's it's uh, i'm excited to see the rest of the set to see if like 
to try to answer these questions, which is just might not be possible to know until you play with it. Uh, Hinterland Logger doesn't hurt my theory about this being a very aggressive format. Uh, it's a 2-1 common. At the beginning of each upkeep, no player were... No. It's this classic transform stipulation. Transforms into a 4-2 trample. It's just super aggressive. Yeah. Really aggressive. Yeah, um, if your opponent's not doing anything turn three, they're in a world of hurt. Got a couple more cards here. Markov Dread Knight 3, black, black. Creature Vampire Knight, flyer. Pay two and a black. Discard a card. Put two plus one plus one counters on them. That's really good and limited. Yeah. It's a bomb. I like I like Elusive Tormentor just because it's like the flavor yeah. is so cool. Go ahead and read. Sure. Elusive Tormentor 2, black, black. For a Creature Vampire Wizard, it's a 4-4. Four, four. Pay one colorless. Discard a card. Transform Elusive Tormentor. Elusive Tormentor transforms into a blue card. Insidious Mist. It's a creature elemental. It has hexproof and indestructible. Insidious Mist can't block and can't be blocked, and it's an O1, so why would you block it? <laughs> However, whenever Insidious Mist attacks and isn't blocked, you may t- pay you may pay two in a black, and if you do, transform it. So basically it's like it turns into mist. Sneaks through all your stuff, and then turns back in to hit for four, which is just cool. It is. It's it's very cool. Um, but then that's when you kill it. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I mean, this is like, like you just did a lot of work, and now I'm gonna kill it. <laughs> but it is really cool. Could be really powerful if there isn't a spell that deals four in uh, shadows sealed or draft. I'm not sure about that. And that's all of them. Woo. That's it. We're caught up. So I'll be off to D.C. early Thursday morning. You'll be off from needing to record with me next week. Sweet. Because I'm going to record with Joey and Kenny down in D.C. So all works for you'll me. have to do is listen. Oh, sure. <laughs> and Joey actually still has some unburnt bridges so maybe he'll find some people to uh to come on the show and talk about team sealed as well so that should be pretty cool but anyway uh i guess i gotta get started editing because <laughs> i gotta leave like super early i gotta like i'm just non-stop until i leave so nice all right T- time to edit this this thing so cool uh until next time we are Yo MTG Taps. Stop bitching, start brewing. Yeah, yeah, we're on to the next one. Yeah, yeah, the album's already done. Yeah, yeah, collect the funds before we do these shows. Gotta go on a press run. Yeah, yeah, we're on to the next one. Yeah, yeah, the album's already done. Yeah, yeah, collect the funds before we do these shows. Gotta go on a press run. Yo, the rhyme pays more eyes once I ride through the doors. Yo, MTG Taps is available every Friday on legitmtg.com, iwantmymtg.com, mtgcast.com, iTunes, Stitcher, Brainlink, Telegraph, and via passenger pigeon at pigeoncast.com. Questions, comments, or free sticker requests that I will hopefully one day get around to can be sent to yomtgtabs at gmail.com. The 
intro music is the song Press Run by the amazing Baltimore MC You'll Never Know and is produced by W. Additional background music produced by Logic Marsalis. Purchase all of their music at magneticmoments.bandcamp.com. That's magnetic with a K. Seriously, purchase all of their music. Find us on Twitter and Facebook to guarantee infinite happiness forever. Finally, make sure to check out my weekly limited stream, Head Games with Big Head Joe, every Sunday at 9 p.m. Eastern at twitch.tv slash legitmtg. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week.